Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back, everybody. This is podcast number 39. It is 39. 39 opioid induced hyperalgesia. Kind of the <laughs> kind of the the bigfoot of uh, the opioid world because well, does it exist? And and to be clear, I was in a town in northern Minnesota where they believe Bigfoot is. So they believe in Bigfoot and they have a lot of shirts and they have a festival. But hyperalgesia, yes, does it exist or not? Right. So today we're going to touch on the mechanisms of hyperalgesia as well as how to diagnose it. And then next week we'll come back and talk about treatment as well as implications for hyperalgesia. I have a chair that's making noise. <laughs> you do. It's annoying. Um, anyway. So a couple of definitions to start. Just to kind of warm everybody up. Remember the definition uh, would be a state of nociceptive sensation caused by exposure to opioids. Right. So when the nerves get exposed, it hurts more. I'm probably going to have to switch chairs. <laughs> you're like, this thing is like it's... making a lot of noise. Doesn't your ma- yours make noise or you're not? No, mine's totally fine. It's just I me. guess I don't weigh as much as you do. My chair is not breaking. COVID weight. Um, anyway. And then allodynia, which is, of course, pain from stimuli, not generally considered painful. So if a feather touches your skin and that hurts... That would you be have allodynia. allodynia. Um, and then a paradoxical response. So this is the people which, you know, you give them some type of pain and their pain actually does get worse. So it kind of fits opioid-induced hyperalgesia, except it's more just the subjective state rather than trying to put something physiologic on top of it. You want to do the next one too? Because I can't say that word. Okay, so what is nociceptive? Maybe we should have started what nociceptive is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pain arising from the stimulation of nerve cells. Which is distinct if it, you know, as far as damage or disease. So it's not you broke your leg and now you have pain. It's the nerves themselves are angry. Yeah, for no pain. for no apparent reason. Right. Kind of like me sitting in this room with you. I shouldn't be in pain, but it's the presence. That's right. So when was this first described? Well, when you look back in the literature, there was this guy by the name of Allbutt. <laughs> okay, that was his name. Okay, I have a three-year-old, so anytime you yep. say "but," you just got but in eight, and this is clear back in 1870. So, man, we're talking 150 years ago. And his quote, found at a later date, said, "Does morphia tend to encourage the very pain it pretends to relieve? I have much to suspect that a reliance upon hypodermic morphia only ended in that curious state of perpetuated pain." I think like everybody who is scientific anywhere, you know, 19th century and earlier, we're all actual literature people. I'm going to start talking like that. I'm going to say, I have much reason, Dr. Bell. <laughs> um, I'm just going to... But let's fast forward. To 2005, you know, when I was actually born, not just you in 1870. 2005. Fast forward to 2005. Yeah, well, you're much older. So <laughs> basically what happened is... Uh, you know, when they start really looking at this and they kind of did this clinical experiment with high dose continuous opioids, which of course we call the opioid crisis, um, Mm -hmm. uh, with results, which really occurred, 
uh, and we noticed as a result of these high-dose opioids that everyone which, was getting. Which now in 2020, this seems like this list, you're all going to yeah. be like, wow. So what, what resulted from this clinical experiment of giving people opioids continually for their chronic pain, Dr. Bell? Well, most obviously the overdose death. Yeah, falls and fractures, accidents. Like car accidents. Yeah, yeah <laughs> care accidents. No, car accidents, uh, endocrinopathy endocrinopathies you must not be able to speak i have much reason if you can't say yeah and actually as you recall we did that talk on testosterone um and of course constipation some of the usual things nas or nows which is what we call it now differences in tolerance and then addiction yes so so clearly uh using them chronically has had its problems in addition to the uh hyperalgesia so so what they kind of found and took from some of this is that there is evidence out there that there's neuroadaptation that interferes with long-term analgesia from opioids. Simply stated that the longer term you're on opioids, it does change how your nerves respond to pain. And this is kind of like that whole tolerance thing. Yeah. After a while, you need more to hit the same thing. And really after a while, you know, there were some people that noticed and some evidence that came about that showed that... Uh, when you decreased people's opioids through tapers, that often this persistent pain they were having would improve. And certainly we've seen that in our practice. Well, or if you lower it to a more safe level, um, the pain is at least the same. So it's not really doing much. Yeah. Anyway, so there's there's studies that show that people taking more intermittent moderate doses have equal pain scores as patients on high dose continuous. So it's better to use pain meds as needed rather than just continuous. Let's take them on a schedule. Um, and of course that would then cause less harm. Hmm. So what's the mechanism of this whole thing? Any clue? I know. I'm just checking to see if you know, <laughs> there isn't a specific answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. trick, trick question. It was a trick question. Um, everybody feels like there's multiple pathways as to why this works. And We've got these really cool graphs of... That's know, a complicated chart then. Yeah, the old microglia thing and all this stuff. We're not even going to try and explain that picture. So you got to think about it in ways as, okay, you have a patient in front of you, you're a provider. You can have all the scientific research journals in your world that you want, but how does that actually translate clinically? That's When you're a clinician, that's what you need to do is how do you treat a patient knowing the information you know? There are some things that are really cool, like percentages and data that obviously led to that information, but it's not important. Patients don't need all of that information. Yeah, a lot of of stuff you don't need. So what do you need to know when you're talking about this with patients? The simple view. (laughs) The Kurt view, simple man. Simple man view. So broken down, there's these descending pathways that... We all know about that modulate pain and sensitivity, and they go down through the spinal cord, right? Correct. And so opioids kind of help enhance the inhibitory uh, signal. So it makes the things that shut off the pain more effective, thus pain relief. Um, And then it diminishes the facilitating. So the things that are telling your brain or body to have pain, it kind of mutes that as well. Mm. Now... It's been, ex- it's been theorized that opioid exposure may shift that balance and kind of favors the facilitation a- after a certain period of time. So that may be one of the methods that, that really helps cause this. Okay, I love this word. So the more opioids, like Kurt just mentioned, increases spinal dynorphins. 
Yeah. Which are the pain signals in, you know, the spinal cord. And then, like he just mentioned, paradoxically increase pain sensation over time. Mm. Running a marathon is like being dipped in dinorphins. That's <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Um, that There's so much truth to that. So what are the other mechanisms? The MDA, M, N. let me start over, NMDA there you go. relationship with the pain process um, is, is thought to be pretty complex. And opioids may affect uh, this system, but it's poorly understood how. Right. So kind of what they're thinking is you upregulate all this stuff that's in the cells, which increases the activity of the NDMA receptors, which makes them more sensitive to pain sensation. So all like, of those thingies just make more pain. You're just sensitized. And of course, how much of this is an inflammatory process? You know, when, when you're exposed to opioids and you get this increase in COX expression, COX, and prostaglandins. Correct. So what does that look like? All of that kind of combined, you get this nerve program cell death actually happens with chronic opioid exposure, possibly mediated through NMDA receptors, which result in disinhibition. So rather than diminishing the pain response, you get increased. So that leads to tolerance, which we all know about. Again, you need more to hit the same level. And then this hypersensitivity to pain. Yeah, we all know those people. And uh, and so let's talk a little bit about how the exogenous opioids suppress that production of the endogenous opioids because that could be a problem. Right. So, you know, I think it's poorly understood that we have normal endogenous opioids. So this is whether some people have more or less than others, it's, it's kind of weird, but it's... You know, Kurt having a scratch and think he's dying versus, you know, me being scratch. cut open and, you know, surviving. So there's a difference, but everybody has endogenous opioids. So the more exogenous, so the ones you take orally or intravenously or whatever, do so that your normal endogenous decrease your pain, but then you take all these exogenous and it suppresses your production of endogenous. So if you're not keeping up with your exogenous now, every little thing causes more pain because your body isn't able to take care of itself. I'm kind of more like that guy from Monty Python where he like cuts off his arm. He says, you know, it's just a flesh wound. No, never mind. That's why it's a movie. Yeah. All so. right. How quickly, this is the fun facts. Let's talk about some of the fun facts of hyperalgesia because I think that's fun. And they're more rememberable. Yeah, we're trying to make this simple <laughs> and we want you to take home a few things. So one of the things to remember is that it doesn't have to be high dose to give you this, right? So or people, even long term. Yeah, can be. it can come on relatively early. It can come on with relatively low doses and even after just a number of few doses. And it's interesting because there are some examples of that. So if you have intraoperative opioids, so obviously these are the IV ones because you're typically not awake taking things orally in the operating room, actually have been shown to cause increased opioid requirements. So you get tolerance faster when it's given in an operating room, and especially things like sensitivity to pressure, heat, and cold. Yeah, and there's actually... So those are the small fibers. I just had this discussion actually with a patient because I was trying to keep this lady off opioids coming into her back surgery and I talked to her a little bit about how if you're on preoperative opioids that you have poor outcomes that you mm -hmm. have greater intensity of pain following your surgery and and then and the business side of hospitals the business side which I don't care about is that it costs <laughs> people more money but um, it's just that people will be much more tough to control their pain um, 
if after surgery, going, right? Yeah, if they get them pre-op. So, but there, even though you know we just mentioned that you can get this early and at low doses, it's more likely to happen, and it has relationship to the dose and the strength. So, all opioids can cause this even at low doses, but it's more likely higher dose, higher strength. And tramadol, which everyone thinks is a weak opioid or not an opioid, can actually cause this. Yeah, some people didn't think you could get addicted to it. Huh. <gasps> Amazing. Uh, so, another fun fact. Resolution of symptoms? When? Never hmm. know. Could be tomorrow, could be next I month. I feel like I should remember which one of these. Could be next year. Is I the, don't think those work anymore. Is the, nope, oh, not that one. Yeah. Nope, not that one. No, no. I'm going to give up. I was trying to find the Twilight Zone one. Yeah. But the reality is, and I've had patients that we've tapered them uh, off their opioids, and they have clearly had less pain uh, than they had on those medications. So it can happen right away, but there are some people who just continue to have the discomfort. Well, and development of allodynia, especially to cold and heat, so you're outside and the cold hits you, obviously that's not comfortable to a lot of people, but... It causes excessive pain. So that can sometimes happen even if some of the other pain stuff goes away. But this is one where it's a little bit harder. It's not a diagnosis of exclusion, which you'd like it to be because there is no test for it. It's a lot of, wait, you have to talk and listen to the patient. Yeah. And remember, yeah, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. That's the key. And I think that you know, you, there's no test. There's nothing you're ever going to be able to do to say, yep, that's what they have. But I think some of the, you know, you can base it on some of these different things that occur when people develop hyperalgesia. And I think my favorite of the list is still that generalization of pain. So we just had a, a case presentation and the person clearly had developed one pain and over a period of years, everything hurt. And that was the first thought on my mind was this must be hyperalgesia, but there's other things. Right. So you got to look at their history of opioid use, their response to opioids. If you give them opioids and all of a sudden they have more pain, that's that paradoxical response. So you need to be aware of that. Um, Other physiological signs, and this is kind of where you're looking at that allodynia where little things should not cause pain, like the feather thing, and it does. um, Well, maybe it's a sharp feather. So... Yeah, and so we're not talking porcupine. And remember, you're, you've <laughs> got to yeah, you've got to exclude all the other causes. I think that's really the important part. So, so I don't think what we did mention at the beginning of this is we broke hyperalgesia into two talks, Heather. So no, we did. So we're gonna. Uh, this is gonna be the end of the first part. Of, You'll all have to have a cliffhanger. Yep, of our big foot of the opioids, uh, opioid hyperalgesia. So we will let our friends' battle legs take over, and we are going to move on. Yes, so next week you'll hear the treatment of hyperalgesia as well as other implications for patients if a patient does have or you suspect that they do have hyperalgesia. So, till next week. All right, thanks for listening. One summer even, drunk to hell, I sat there. Your name and how would you bloody know? In blood and death, neath the screaming sky, I lay 